The following podcast is rated R for really filthy. It includes adult themes and explicit content. So if you're an adult who happens to like themes directly targeting your sexy demographic, then get ready to join us as we ship it good. Due to the themes discussed on this podcast, it may contain potentially triggering content. Please visit our episode description to review the warnings applicable to this episode. Hello, it's Editing Nathan here. We didn't have very much in the way of a cold open this week, but we thought instead of doing a gag, we would just say uh, Happy Pride Month to everyone. And what better way to celebrate than with some tasty slash fic. Now, I think you're going to be able to tell from the minute we kick off that we really enjoyed recording this episode, and that's why it's double the normal length. We did contemplate sort of cutting it in half, but then we thought it would interrupt the flow. Uh, so without further ado, let's... Let's enjoy Tamari Week. Cheers. And welcome back to Care of Magical Shippers, the Harry Potter Ship Culture Podcast. Woo! Welcome Woo-hoo! back. <laughs> so this week we're getting into slash ships, which I am super stoked about. That is 100% my jam. What I read, what I write. So now we're going to be talking about Tamari, which I am really excited about. I did not know anything about this ship before looking into this and when we decided to do this. And we realized it is a relatively popular ship, but I hadn't really known that it existed or what it was. And diving in, I am just, I don't have, I I obviously will find words to talk about this. (laughs) But I love it so much. Just the aspect of that angst, the dynamic between the hero and the villain coming together and falling in love and just, oh gosh, it's just like the angst of it. Oh, it's so good. Because of course I love Dreary, I love Snary, but this one is to a new level. Because when it comes to Draco and Snape, you have two characters that obviously we see as villains, but we can redeem them. Like even in canon, give us tools to be able to redeem them because of either past traumas or examples of why and how they became the you know the assholes that they did become and we're able to fall in love with them regardless of that but when it comes to Voldemort and Tom Riddle from the very beginning he's evil we see Mm -hmm. the elements from in the orphanage of torturing children and having no remorse for it finding fun in it so it was really hard for me from the get-go to see how a character like that could be redeemed and of course inevitably have a love story you know with harry yeah and what it like i think this is going to be one of those occasions where we just end up agreeing the entire time yeah because when i started investigating the ship i was like this has to be an example of one of the most cursed things i could think of because like you say it's friends to lovers but then the extreme version like the ultimate extreme 1000 percent version i was like i can't imagine a situation where a psychopath like Voldemort 
becomes redeemable in any way whatsoever and like and least of all to harry who has this personal stake in the you know in the relationship in that his parents died because of Voldemort and you know so many of his friends have died you know so much that has happened in the wizarding world is as a direct result of this terrible stuff that's been happening around him and how do you reconcile all that to then go oh I've suddenly stumbled on the love of my life it doesn't seem like it would make sense. A hundred (laughs) percent. And when you start when you start looking into this you start going I don't know why I I wasn't invested soon this is so it's so golden or people can just write it really well or like something so like a shift happened in me where i was fully prepared to hate on this ship and be like i'm I'm, you know not looking forward to discussing (laughs) fake and now the tables have turned completely where it's just like i want to talk about nothing else (laughs) it's so magical it has captured my imagination i am set sail with the ship (laughs) (laughs) we are yes exactly same when i started out i was like okay i can see how and starting to read it oh oh i just i love that oh because i love time travel you know how much i love time travel so because ultimately there's a lot of instances of that with i like getting the you know doing the cross gen with the marauders and things like that going from lightning era to marauders so with this one it's like an extreme jump i mean goodness you're going from what is it the you know the 90s back to the 40s i mean that's a huge jump so taking that into account i just I love seeing those characters fall into a new time period and trying to fit in. Oh, but for Harry to go back and think, I'm going to fix things. Like, it's well known to be that redo ship because after everything happens, Harry obviously has, from the beginning, lost his parents. He's lost friends and family close to him. And yeah. in the story, of course, he gives up the Hallows. So that's another, yeah, like, course. Master of Death is a huge trope that they focus on. He's like, I have all three. Therefore, I am essentially protected. So if I go back, I can change things and have that ability to survive, I guess. It's not necessary, but I, I see how that works. But him reaching the point that I, if I can go back, and make things different knowing what happened I'm going to try and so sometimes it's going back and he adopts him you know sometimes he adopts Tom and tries to help raise him better then it ultimately eventually grows into something else but usually it's an instance of going back starting off at Hogwarts and you know either they become friends or he's just kind of lingering and watching Tom Because, of course, we know that Tom sees love as a weakness, and Harry has been told and eventually believes that love is his greatest strength. So we kind of see both sides of that, as if Harry, as we go forward, Tom is obviously a very manipulative person. He knows how to manipulate people to get essentially what he wants. So I could see him, like, 
wooing anybody. So whether it's Harry when he's there for whatever reasons he decides he wants to do so. Harry, I just, we just can see him like flubbing and flailing himself around of being like, yeah, no, I'm not going to get sucked in. But then he's totally sucked yes. in. Oh, you know, absolutely. I just, yeah. I can so see that. So then you, you could see Voldemort or Tom in this instance being like, you know, love is your, your weakness. But then Harry could then use said love to hopefully make Tom into a better person. However, that's possible. You know, it still kind of depends on the fic or is up to debate. But I just think that conflicting of the good and the bad, the pro-love, anti-love with those two is just, it's so delicious. I love it so yeah. much. And and it builds on uh, something that I wanted to talk about as well, which is that Harry is an unintentional horcrux. Or right. like part of... Uh, him is an unintentional horcrux so there's a part of Voldemort literally inside him already <laughs> hello mm -hmm. um, and what happens then is that you get this potential as well for Voldemort to pick up on the fact that there is a part of himself that he has cut himself off from that mm -hmm. is literally that he has a chance to win back and mm, I can mm -hmm. I and I can absolutely buy that Voldemort is in love with himself that is the one thing ah. like, in whatever context I can absolutely buy that he loves himself enough to be like do you know what I'm seeking this out that's going to be my redemption I'm reclaiming that part of myself yes um, yeah. And the fact that Harry just happens to be there is a plus for him because, you know, it's, it, you know, he can use that superficial charm and, you mm -hmm. know, and go out and, and snag the chosen one. So this is yeah. all, uh, I can see that being part of some grand uh, agenda. But, you know, personally, I just think we like a, a redemption arc as well. Yeah. No matter how implausible that is, we just yes. love we love to see, we especially love to see things that we would never have thought could work, turn mm -hmm. on their heads and suddenly become incredible. Or, you know, I love to see that anyway. I know you love to see it. Yes. And, yep. I love I to think... read it, write it. Yeah. 100%. And now it's over to you listeners. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, yeah. We want to see more. Show us more. Um, but yeah, like you said, I mean, granted, as we see Tom and Voldemort develop, eventually he reaches a point that obviously he his soul breaks up enough that eventually he's no longer really human and he loses his, you know, obviously he was known as very attractive and using that to manipulate. So I don't know, I guess I could see since you, you mentioned the loving himself, like when he was younger and knows that he's handsome or attractive and wants to manipulate and has a self-obsession thinks he's so I'm so great I deserve to rule over everybody and I have all the answers and to see the elements of himself that he thinks makes himself unique and powerful like say the parcel tongue Harry oh, only sure. he only can speak parcel tongue because he became that horcrux he got yeah. elements directly from him so like you said Tom can see himself in Harry, and so he's drawn to him. He doesn't know why. There's some reason why he's drawn to Harry. So ultimately, if that wasn't there, not that we can't make the craziest and weirdest and rarest of ships happen, like I, anything is possible. But without that, I think a lot of the more important reasons that really is a strong foundations of that, if Harry hadn't been his Horcrux, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be as intense as 
as it has become. And I just, oh, I love it so much. Absolutely. I mean, they say a villain is only as good as the hero and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the reason that this ship works so well is that they're both such that they're the the hero and the anti-hero, the hero and the villain, and they're both such opposite poles. So when they collide, you, um, you have this explosive volatility that happens. And what what writers can do with that and what fanfic does with that really excites me. That is, uh, that has such potential because when we see it in the books, you have this, it, it's almost very two-dimensional. You know, you have Harry realising he's the chosen one, going mm. off to fight the war, doing what has to be done, you know, putting on his you know, saviour complex cloak and going off to, to yes. fight the battle. And then Voldemort being like, I'm supposed to be super powerful. What the fuck is this brat doing here? You know, yes. I, I, the the um, the juxtaposition is really it's that one note all the way through the books, and not that that's not terrific, mm -hmm. but when you when you play about with it in fan fiction and you add potentially romantic elements, mm -hmm. it just it gives that um, frenetic quality that they have that much more depth. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's out there. There has to be like a a Beauty and the Beast AU. Oh, yes. <laughs> there has to be Harry is Belle and Tom is the Beast and and the um you know between the Stockholm syndrome and getting him to melt and fall in love and find love uh cuz that's the biggest thing is we assume based on some things that have been discussed in, you know, by JK or others that because Tom was conceived under a love potion, he doesn't have the ability to love. Whether that's true or not, it depends on how we perceive it to be. So the the challenge, you think about the challenge of how how he could learn that. And just from Harry and and what it would take to do that is also really interesting because that just sounds like the biggest challenge ever. So like, how do you teach sympathy and empathy to a complete, you know, psychopath narcissist that just has no, you know, desire to think or feel or worry about other people? Everyone is a pawn. Everyone is a means to an end. And he... I have loved being able to see how Harry is able to do that. And a lot of times he's unaware that he's doing it because one, Harry is there to change things and he draws, he either draws him in because of the Horcrux thing. Like he's, yeah. Tom would be really interested in like, who is this and why do I feel this pull toward him? And Harry is trying so hard to, I mean, he either has to kind of build a relationship, but at the same time he has the conflict like he's this terrible person who killed my friends and family but then also holy shit he's so hot <laughs> but he's so hot and i know and he's gonna he's he's like i will not fall for this guy or whatever and then inevitably does and I just think that it's just so interesting that Harry, of course, is going to fall and fall hard. But then how long would it take or would Tom then fall back for him? Or does he just see Harry as more of a possession, someone to covet, someone who one of his, obviously one of the people that follow and worship him, but to like a 
closer degree. Maybe he has this misconstrued feeling of what love could be. He doesn't quite understand it, but to have someone behave or feel in a way toward him that makes him feel good, but he feels like he deserves it. I don't know. I just, this, this ship is so much. <laughs> it's so much fun and it's it's so good. I mean, it goes right back to your Belle and Beast analogy. Mm-hmm. Like, Belle essentially uh, learns and grows by being trapped in a castle and, you know, Harry mm-hmm. does the same thing for, mm-hmm. for six years. Um, and then I, I just feel like, th- of course, there's more, you know, there's more nuance and intricacy and stuff to unpack. But the broad theme of Beast sees something that he needs it's a like the like bell is a means to an end for him because if he doesn't redeem himself by the time the last petal falls or whatever that he'll be cursed forever and i sort of feel like voldemort would look on harry in much the same way like Mm -hmm. he is very much an object a, a, a symptom of a problem that needs to be fixed yes. and it's and it's great to see how the transition from that to oh hang on there might be more behind this is executed and that's what i've enjoyed looking for in fix that ship this ship yeah did, I, did <laughs> that, that make sense yes fix that ship this ship uh <laughs> Oh, and one big one that I know that we have talked about on our own and I'm excited to get into is the legitimacy, occlumency aspect of it. Yes. We don't see a lot of it, which is surprising. Obviously, Voldemort is a very accomplished legilimens. He must use that to his advantage when it comes to him manipulating people. He has to be in everyone's heads. I'm sure he knows how to read people, but there's no better way to know and find weakness and ability to control someone than knowing exactly what they're thinking. So for Harry to go back in time and have this plan to essentially change him for the better how is tom oblivious to this for like you know three quarters of a fic or of whatever he doesn't use it and it's just surprising but it is one of those things that either the author just either ignores you don't think about but when you think about tom as a character and all his potential as an individual outside of this bringing it in i'm just i'm really interested because harry is shit at occlumency we know that that is canon there's no way he could protect his mind so i just then would tom say something would he know and play it off like he doesn't or would he find out and then completely come for Harry and it's even more of a challenge for Harry to really change things or convince him that he needs to change because his downfall is inevitable. Like Harry can show him, hey, you died (laughs) and I killed you or whatever or look who you are now even if it's Harry still in school, be it sixth year or something like that. It's, uh, yeah, he, why, why he doesn't use it in so many fix is just beyond me. Yeah, I know. And I sort of feel like part of that as well is that Harry doesn't see his emotional 
sort of leakage, for want of a better word, as mm-hmm. a vulnerability. He would definitely see it as a strength because, as you say, he's had it sort of uh, drilled into him that, that love is a strength and he's come to believe it. And so feeling strongly for Harry and being this creature of instinct that doesn't really do much preparation beforehand, but just, you know, yeah. throws himself into the centre of the situation and it trusts that the process will work, trusts that the that the love will win the day. I, I don't really think he is doing very much, it, that, that he cares very much to think, oh, well, I'd better mask my feelings or my intentions yeah. because this will foil my plans if he gets yeah. in my head. Like, <laughs> I think it comes back to Harry feeling like he's already won because he has mm-hmm. in a sense mm-hmm. you know he's mm-hmm. like well I beat him once I can do it again I don't right. need to worry about how my feelings like the overflow of my feelings yes. and as as for Tom I sort of feel like he's maybe able to get such a good read on people because he's seen them for a long time or mm-hmm. he's been he's observed them and kept quiet and just sort of very yeah. clandestinely um lurking had a read on them for, exactly mm-hmm. yeah he's been a he's a he's an a1 lurker yes and yeah he's, he's totally a lurker <laughs> and i just sort of feel because in these fix like harry bursting onto the scene doesn't give voldemort a lot of time to know who this character is mm-hmm. and like you say maybe there's something that he he's able to pick up on that it's a part of him but he doesn't really know how it fits like something is off so yeah. maybe voldemort is thrown off by his own sense of power being knocked off kilter yeah and something going back to the the love thing i was just thinking how even though harry even though harry cares for people and we see him he obviously has love for his friends and his ultimately family that he finds outside of blood but as far as romantic loves he doesn't have a good track record. He doesn't know. <laughs> he doesn't know how to handle romantic love. I mean, the whole Cho thing just crash yeah. and burn. Oh, crash no. and burn. Ginny was like a short thing, and of course, you. I mean, obviously, in canon, eventually they end up together. But in in my opinion, I feel like it was kind of one of those fleeting things of like you've always been there, and I finally see that you're kind of hot, and we have a lot in common. So let's you try this. You are correct. This. You yes. are one hundred percent correct. <laughs> So after the war, like obviously then we can do epilogue, what epilogue, whatever we want. If Harry goes back in time, one, Tom doesn't know how to love, period. But Harry doesn't know how to handle romantic love and ultimately a lot of times is completely oblivious. How the heck are these two guys navigating that? How is this even happening if not by complete accident? Like they just like, it's one of those stories that it's just... They don't see it until it's ob- It's apparently there and it's just like, oh shit, like I am in love with this person and I didn't know it was happening because I can't see it for what it is. And I love that too. I love yeah. that. You read the story and even and even from our point of view, we can be like, oh, Harry, <laughs> yes. you're saying you're you're saying and thinking these things because of, you know, certain reasons that I know you can't see and I just want to like shake you for it. Yeah. And but I yeah, I don't. Harry doesn't know how like he doesn't I mean we don't know until we you know know but that just seems like the craziest part of it is like there's no ability on Tom's end and Harry is like 
really kind of flailing as far as romantic yeah. love goes. Yeah, I mean, it, it's. I think that's one of the reasons why them being together works so well, because they're both so useless. <laughs> they're yeah. both so oblivious. And mm-hmm. the fact that they're... Because they're tuned into a really different skill set. Like if you've had your your blinkers on metaphorically and you're just chasing power in the case of Tom Riddle or you're right. just chasing that good thing for the rest of the wizarding world, you're not really thinking loins first. Yes. But, <laughs> but, when, you, but when you thrust these characters together in the context Thrust. of either... <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> when you thrust these characters, characters. together, yeah. <laughs> uh, so when you when you bring them together in a <laughs> in a context that is not to do with with the war or with power, and they have to figure out this other stuff that's been bubbling up under the surface, mm-hmm. that's when it gets fun. Because yes. what I love as a reader is being clued into something before the characters twig that it's happening and i i love the potential for the ability of the reader because we get this in canon as well when when harry is oblivious to a situation and then he finds out very late on in the day but we've known since you know chapter 10 or whatever it happens to be um three books ago (laughs) exactly exactly it's like that but then with more loins in this situation yes Yes. Oh, and that's true. Because even that's another that we could get that physical aspect before getting to the romantic. Because then there's kind of like that friends with benefits or because you are behaving because of attraction, desires for someone regardless of love. Because I can see that from Tom's perspective of him being like, okay, I am like, I'm, I don't know why, or I'm into this dude. And I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to make him mine and it doesn't matter. He's just a thing. And then eventually love happens without them realizing. Uh, And I also think about, of course, if like whether it's Harry in school or after school and goes back, he's a lot of times in fic and slash fic with Harry, he has to figure out that he's either bi or gay and we have to like go through that journey with him. So... I feel like when it comes to him going back to Tom, Tom is his first crush. Yeah. If you really think about it. 12 years old, he sees 16-year-old Tom Riddle, and he's like, well, look at that handsome man. Like, look at, oh my look God. at him. Yes. And so to see him again has to spark something, like in addition to hate, animosity, um, knowing who he's going to become, but then also realizes he's not that person yet, and he's still hot. Like, I, rem- I remember <laughs> thinking at 12, like, okay, he's a good-looking guy, but now Harry's an adult, and he's like, oh, damn. Like, look yeah. at that. Yeah. So that is, I think that's a huge part of driving from Harry's, from canon. It's like, you already know Harry is attracted to him, and then having to navigate around hating him. Oh, but then ultimately, then it gives room for hate sex, which is equally yeah. amazing. So you're yeah. just like, oh, it's like, I hate you so much, but uh like, <laughs> So it's, uh, yeah, oh gosh, there's so many reasons to love this. I just, I thought, I thought I had my OTPs. Like, I thought I knew what I liked and what I liked to read. And then I read this stuff and I just want more of this. I mean, I still yeah. love the other stuff, but 
I just, the, the hero slash villain yeah. is just, oh, it's just so good. To be fair, I feel like this might happen with more or less every single ship we cover because yeah. you can't possibly read everything, you know? <laughs> and I just feel like we're going to discover so much more I that know. we love than, that you know, than we're sitting here now talking about Tamari, but, you know, we could be talking about anything else that mm-hmm. we see that we love and the same stuff could apply, you know? But this is why I, I'm just so glad that this pod exists because yes. we get to do this week yes. on week and I'm, I'm just so happy about it yeah and then seeing the different characters like harry obviously is shipped with a bajillion people <laughs> like yeah. we just see harry yeah. slash whoever so to to be able to create a harry that fits within this ship like with tom what would that look like like obviously we see a lot of like oblivious harry or he's just kind of like going through life like oh yeah like if it's after school i'm gonna be an or because that's what i think is supposed to happen or i'm gonna be with Ginny because i think that's what's supposed to happen and he's just kind of existing and then find someone and then things change realizing what he was missing is there like either with dreary or something like that but then going back he's going back in time with so many emotions it's not like he's oblivious or just kind of coasting and figuring out life after Voldemort he's going back with the the trauma the pain the desire to change things and his like deep hatred of Tom and Voldemort and so to just have all these these feelings everything has to be emotions driven so I mean Harry has his his instincts but ultimately, when we are focused on emotion, we don't always make the best decisions. So no, it's that is in- so true. It's interesting to see in comparison, like oblivious Harry doing things stupidly because he's oblivious. And we're just like, oh my God, Harry, seriously. But when you're emotional and you're doing or avoiding or saying things, and then of course we're like, oh my gosh, that was heavy. And you have no idea how impactful that is on A, B, and C. And I just... I love that. And oh, 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 sorry, I'm just kidding. So, of course, so excited. So, because Harry has this like animosity for Tom, he's used to being wor- like worshipped, adored, looked up on. He has, you know, he's become prefect, eventually head boy. He has all these followers. Girls and probably guys alike are just like mooning uh-huh. over him and just think he's so beautiful and smart. And here comes Harry out of nowhere. And he's just like, you're the fucking worst, man. And he's just like, why you hate me? Why you hate me? Just because, just because I, you know, you have justifiable reasons to hate me. Why do you hate me? And so then it takes, Tom has the opportunity to try and change that. Like he sees that as equal enough of a challenge to convince Harry to not hate him just as much as Harry is to try and make Tom not evil. Exactly. So I love that. It's like that crisscross of like, I'm gonna make you different and I'm gonna make you different. And we're just gonna like, bam, we're gonna like yeah. clash. And then eventually that clashing is gonna become physical and we're ready for it. <laughs> we're just so <laughs> ready for it. The physical manifestation of a thousand different conflicts going on right there. I am so, I'm so about it because yes. like you said, with the thing of wanting to change each other, it's riffing on the conflict that we've already seen with the both of them where you know at the end of book seven that you have they have the epic battle and it is both of them fighting for the the ultimate truth of what they believe mm-hmm. except that when you s- 
see it in in microcosm form in that small way when they're sort of with with Tom as prefect and Harry having gone back through time. It is that same thing, but in an entirely different context where yeah. they're the, they're the same people, but because of what they've gone through or not gone through, you get to renegotiate how all of that plays out. And I love that. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I just, oh, there's just so, there's so many good things. I just like, I don't even know how to stop talking about this. I just, and now of course I want to find more fix right now. I want to go on AO3 and find more stuff because I'm just so thirsty for all of this. I just, I love, I love their dynamic and ultimately Oh, another, okay, so tangent, but related. I think it's really interesting when it comes to this ship, how many AUs, like Muggle AU stories they are there are. Yeah. Because I, and I see it from the aspect of, is it because people like these two characters like individually and they want to see them together even if it's not like canon driven because there's just whether it's um uh, we've seen like uh healer healer draco and or not sorry <laughs> we see like healer tom and either or harry or just it's just like normal life of like Tom being in Harry's modern life, but is just a character that happens to be named Tom Riddle with his personality traits, which I think is really interesting. Whereas, of course, I read and write things that can be pulled from canon, like that fit in fit in with canon. I love being able to do and manipulate that. But it's also really interesting that so many people love to read and write something that has a tiny bit to do with the Harry Harry Potter fandom and world essentially it's like I'm taking the characters and doing whatever the heck I want with them so I think it's really cool but personally I don't know why I don't read stories like that I don't it's not something that I'm drawn to but a lot of people want to take these characters and in this instance Tom and Harry and put them in another situation where then they can find their romantic love around a completely different environment and setting, which is, yeah, which is really interesting. I just realised that I should probably butt in with a sidebar here and address you, dear listener, directly because what you can't see is I'm nodding along vigorously <laughs> and I don't have enough synonyms for yeah to be like <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, in the background but it's just a symphony of vigorous agreement is happening right now from my end, but it's just because Meg is making so many salient points that I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to interrupt the flow and I can yeah. think of other things to say, but I also, I don't want to cut you off. And so I'm just like, I'm just here going, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this is my contribution to the podcast, dear. Yes. <laughs> it's just, it's just sitting here nodding and you have no idea it's <laughs> happening. So. <laughs> So what you were saying about people wanting to have proxies for Harry and Tom to mm -hmm. satisfy their romantic inclinations. I also feel like people might be drawn to this ship because if Harry goes back in time to try and change things with Voldemort, he is literally using his past trauma to heal his scars. And that so you get the you get the the, the literal <laughs> manifestation of seeing the catharsis that you didn't even in the epilogue of book seven. Because sure, you see what happens with Harry's kids and, the, mm -hmm. you know, they go off to Hogwarts, but you don't really get any emotional closure for those characters. No. Uh, 
And I sort of feel like part of the reason why Harry Potter fanfic does so well is that it gives you so much wiggle room to be like, yeah, that's fine and that's okay and I can accept that's canon, but now I want my emotional backstory. And, you know, what better scenario to do that in than with these two because this is the central dynamic that has fueled this whole series. Yes, yep. It's, it's, It's literally, even you think about... <laughs> you think about the stupid, sorry, stupid scene in the movie where Harry like grabs onto Voldemort and it's like, it's just you and me, Tom, oh, yeah. or whatever. Oh, and God. they throw themselves off the castle parapet or whatever. Yes. It's oh my God. That is brutal. so stupid. It is stupid. But I thinking of that, it's true. It is. It's just you and me this whole time. Everything else has just been extra. It's just extra stuff going on. And it's ultimately been Harry versus Voldemort this entire time whether it's just been in the background, looming, it's there. That we know from the beginning, that's the end. That is the end game. So yeah, of course we're going to connect those two and want to keep that connection and add more to it. Like you said, we don't get other emotional things or see too much into the the character and relationship to those two together. And we're able to do that and give emotion and convince us. That's the biggest thing I love is being convinced that either of these characters could feel and be a way that we wouldn't assume, especially with Tom. When we've read, I would assume that he wouldn't know how to love or get to that point. But when I read and see him like thawing, essentially, like you see him sort of realizing his choices and decisions aren't necessarily good and he's discovering how to feel and see things in people other than just a means to an end. Yeah. And I love, I love seeing that. I love seeing Tom all of a sudden become an emotionally driven character that was essentially lacking all emotion. Everything was, he had a mask on. He was faking everything. So to see him actually be vulnerable and feel, and also we're, but then you see like Harry or even us can't believe it. Like he'll do and say things and Harry's going to be like, I know you're just saying that because you know what it's doing to me. And of course, Tom's like, no, seriously. Like, when are you going to believe me that I actually, you know, care about you or I'm not going to yeah. do this or whatever. And just that trust factor in any relationship that has to come out of it that would take a long time and not necessarily would ever really come to fruition. Like when I think of Tom and Harry, even if it comes together as this really passionate relationship that makes sense for reasons, it's there's the trust thing is going to be a problem long term. I just I just feel like it would be easy for Harry to be a bit hesitant to be 100% in. Oh, absolutely. Totally, absolutely. So I'm going to get a little bit nerdy now um, because I can. Uh, are you... <laughs> it's my podcast. <laughs> it's, it's my podcast. I can do what I want. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> so uh, are you familiar with something called the dark triad of personality? Because psychologists talk about it and it's basically this grouping that narcissists 
psychopaths and sociopaths are all lumped in. And basically what all three of those groups have in common is that they're able to project this kind of superficial confidence and superficial charm. And they have, they're able to trick people into thinking that they they can be empathetic without Mm -hmm. actually displaying any sincerity behind what they say. And so I absolutely buy that Harry has trouble trusting Voldemort because Mm -hmm. like he has no basis to believe that Voldemort is coming from anything other than serving his own selfish self-interest and what I'm interested in and I know that you love this too is seeing that sort of jump start moment when we go from seeing Tom as this unfeeling self-serving best narcissist and at worst psychopath to becoming somebody that suddenly feels and Mm -hmm. there is there are different trip switches excuse me that can make that happen but I love seeing how writers negotiate that in a way that makes it seem like it's not just like he wakes up one morning and oh he's a completely different person yes exactly wait a minute I feel things yeah So I was I was actually going to ask you how do you feel like this ship from what you've what you know of it so far compares to other th- tropes that you love like Snarry and like uh, Harry slash Draco because I know that you love mm-hmm. those sorts of pairings mm-hmm. and I know there are obviously similarities there but like what for you makes this ship stand out compared to those two that I know you love I know so when it comes to Drary obviously we have from canon we're like okay they've been obsessed with each other forever so eventually you're like okay yeah they're gonna figure out they're gay and obviously they're gonna get together (laughs) because they've been in love with each other this whole time Uh it's kind of it's enemies to lovers but it's something expected like we read it and we're like oh yeah like that uh, that obviously is the end game like that is exactly what is supposed to be and we love that we love it because we all just love draco as a character especially fanfic draco and the relationship is so fun because draco's very snarky and harry's just usually oblivious and dorky and and (laughs) and then draco makes fun of him for it and they just work and when it comes to Snary, so I feel like we're getting on like an upward trajectory of Draco <laughs> yes. being, yeah, Drary being that like the fluffy enemies to lovers because it yeah. just has that potential to have that angst, but then lots of fluff. Then we get to Snary, where Snary is obviously, depending on how it's done, usually it has the like soulmate trope where we focus on the Patronuses. Snape has the dough, not for Lily, but for Harry Stag. And the self-hatred of Snape trying to ignore the fact that he either knows that they're soulmates or has feelings for Harry. And Harry is the child of his childhood crush or love, as well as his childhood bully. So there's so much angst and opportunity for that hurt comfort. Yeah. So you're getting a little bit more of that conflict that we do get in Drary, but it's like, it's deeper than that. It starts getting a darker level. And so once we get to to Mary, ultimately, like we had mentioned earlier, it's easy to redeem Draco. It's not as easy, but we are able to redeem Snape. 
when it comes to yeah. Tom's slash Voldemort, it's hard for us to give it any sort of redeeming quality. So for a, especially for an author to convince us otherwise is amazing, especially because I know it's possible. I know that I'm going to go right now after this and start writing my own to Mary just to do that. <laughs> but it's so much darker and deeper because there is that, that, that true hate. Like, yeah, Harry and Snape never got along. Snape was a dick and hated his dad and so they're gonna have that conflict but it's not to the depth Snape didn't kill his parents like you, you think yeah. of it like how could someone fall in love with the person who eventually kills his parents it seems impossible it seems impossible so it's yeah. amazing when someone is able to convince us otherwise and that's what I love about enemies to lovers is convince me why this makes sense and this is possible and how I can empathize with the villain so that I myself fall in love with them too <laughs> Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I, do you know, I'm reminded of that quote of Dumbledore's where he says something like, it is not our abilities that determine who we truly are, it is our choices. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like in the context of Tamari, what's really interesting about that is that if Harry goes back in time, uh, as he often does in right. Tamari Fix, he's going back in time to a certain point where Voldemort hasn't made... Tom Riddle hasn't made all the choices that make up the Voldemort persona yet. So mm -hmm. is he is he still going back to face the same evil that he right. was victorious against? Or is he going back to face what is essentially a different person who can make potentially different choices that send the character down a completely different path? That's what fascinates me. Yes, and I think that something that I didn't think about but have found to be when I started reading The Fix is I never thought about the fact that the more Voldemort obviously split his soul, you start with half a soul, like his whole soul, half. Then it breaks again, so it's a quarter of a whole. Then we get an eighth of a whole, and it just keeps going, so his sanity breaks. Like, each time he breaks his soul and becomes lesser of himself, mentally we see that too. He becomes insane. So, of course, his... The, what we see as evil and lack of empathy. We obviously see the, the memories from Dumbledore when he's trying to show Harry where Voldemort came from. And obviously he had those evil tendencies, like we mentioned before, about harming other kids his age. He potentially has the most of him, depending on when Harry goes back, whether it's before he even makes the, you know, makes the diary or starts going into making the Horcruxes. Tom has as much of his humanity as he can have. So having that ability to find however small, like you think of like how the Grinch stole yeah. Christmas, where it's like his, his heart grew three sizes that day or whatever, having that yeah. moment where all of a sudden he starts feeling things that were just an ember like deep down that he thought was insignificant or weakness obviously that tiny ember is going to become non-existent with the Voldemort we see at the end because he ultimately is barely human they had to make a body for him so sure, even yeah. when Harry met him quote-unquote in his second year that's half of Voldemort like that's half of Tom so it's still a good amount of him so depending on 
when Harry goes back, there's humanity to play with. There are pieces that are probably very deeply repressed that Harry could needle his way into and bring to the surface versus it's harder for me when it comes to Harry Mort to see how that would have connect aside from the soul situation of like Harry has a missing piece of him and they're drawn together but that was an interesting aspect of we see Tom at his most human point before he starts making the horcruxes. Yeah and I think as well one of the, the really interesting things that you can take from that is it depends on the author, it depends on the characterization of mm -hmm. Voldemort that day whether we're dealing with a psychopath because psychopaths are born or a sociopath because sociopaths are made. Mm -hmm. They sort of respond to the social environment that they grow up in so is tom always evil or does he is his evil really a product of the the social environment the orphanage the mm -hmm. um the you know the lack of love in his early life that is then feeding out into these malefic adult behaviors you know it um it it's a really interesting idea and i think that has a lot to do with how redeemable he is mm -hmm. in the context of whatever fic it might happen to be. Because whether or not you buy that he has much of his soul left to earn back mm -hmm. is essential to whether you can believe that he can somehow become more himself again mm -hmm. and therefore love Harry or whoever yes. it happens to be. And another element I've seen in fic so if it's after Voldemort has died, obviously Harry no longer has the piece of Voldemort in him. But if he does, when he goes back, he still contains part of Tom's soul. So he can see that in Harry and they're drawn to each other. But also we see the element of Harry becoming the good in him. Like him either teaching that part of his soul to be good, to love. Yeah. And so them being drawn together, either unified the soul again or at least because Tom can feel the connection to a piece of him for Harry to manipulate that because it's attached to him as a person and his soul and his choices it's almost teaching Tom's soul to behave and think differently absolutely absolutely that's such a uh, lovely way to think <laughs> about that I had never thought about that before I didn't until just this second so here we are <laughs> <laughs> See, we're both learning and growing as a direct yes. result of this ship right now. Exactly. <laughs> this, is, this is why this matters. Yes. <laughs> 100%. So on the element of if we assume that Tom is a sociopath and looking back at, like I like to do, let's look at childhood trauma because I love that. <laughs> whoop, whoop, childhood trauma. Let's do this. <laughs> so, so ultimately, one, he grows up in an orphanage and probably mm -hmm. gets little to no affection. And he eventually learns that obviously his mother brought him to an orphanage, had him and died. Died. Yes. And when he discovered that he was a wizard and who his mother was and that she was a witch, the fact that she gave up and gave him up regardless, she obviously potentially could have survived, but just realized, you know what? I have no reason to live, even though I have a child coming into this world. So him to just resent that part of her and then of course knowing that his father abandoned them both. So yeah. of course he has that 
assumption that all muggles are bad and then he's named after his father so he hates so then there's also a little bit of self-hatred that's why he wants to change his name because he doesn't want anything to do with his muggle father's name there's just a lot of a lot of experiences that he goes through at a young age and until he discovers that he is a wizard that really would have an effect on him And so he obviously discovers that he can do things differently before he realizes that it's really magic, that he has different powers than just being a regular human. And he's able to like lure children and do like, I think he, what is it? He like kills like a rabbit or someone's pet or something by it and is is, like up in the banisters or something super messed up that it's like, how would it even have gotten up there? And he just realizes that he has the ability to manipulate things and even though it seems absolutely absurd what is it the matron of the orphanage does say to Dumbledore it's like uh he went off somewhere with these kids and they never were quite right afterwards and they yeah. so they can't know what happened it's uh yeah I don't I don't know it's, it's a really interesting moment that because I come away from that moment so often feeling like that wasn't addressed enough you know mm-hmm. if if I, I come away from that moment feeling like as a child if you don't know behavior is bad if that is not reinforced mm-hmm. you will you'll get the idea that you have free reign to do what you want to do and obviously mm-hmm. when you add the magical element into that you know that's going to give him an overinflated sense of ego before you even start to factor in how he can manipulate other people and have his hocus pocus moment where he's going mm-hmm. you know come little children yes! I'll take the away yes! it's, it's totally totally what that is you know oh, obviously gosh, it's yes. a, a a little bit darker than that, but you yes, know, <laughs> but but ostensibly the same thing. So, uh, so what that leaves you with is annoyance. I think personally, I'm annoyed at Dumbledore at moments mm-hmm. like that because if he just said. You know, because all he really did was set the wardrobe on fire. Right. Um, and then say, like, behavior like that won't be tolerated at Hogwarts. Right. But but it's what he doesn't say in that moment, which is like, well, I'm not going to really give a crap about your behavior until you get to Hogwarts. Do you know what I mean? Right. He's not nurturing enough in that moment to go, no, here's where we're going to set you on the, the straight and narrow and really make yeah. sure that you're looked after. It's like, no, I'm just going to go and I, I'll leave you until until I see you at Hogwarts in right. X amount of years. Yeah, because they, because uh, Dumbledore offers or to have himself or someone accompany him to Diagon Alley to get yeah. all his things. And Tom is like, no, I'm good. I can do this. Who leaves an 11-year-old to go get all his school stuff? Like, one, how does he know where to go? And two, yeah. I just, how is that even possible? Especially because they talked about some sort of, not really scholarship money, but like they have you know yeah, money they have, for... a, they have like a hardship fund yes yeah. yeah something like that so obviously they need to be able to get some of that to him and they just how do you leave yeah who leaves an 11 year old to do all these things it just shows how much he's had to grow up and be an adult at a, such a young age that he's oh, able yeah. to just be like yeah no it's fine I'll go get my stuff no big deal because Dumbledore from the get go could show him it's okay to rely on other people like like him to just shut him down and be like, hey, I'll be here for you in like two weeks and we'll go get your stuff. And even if Tom's like, no, 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 I want to do this by myself. It's like, well, you know, tough luck. We're we're going together. You know, have that yeah, Hagrid Harry exactly. situation. Yes. 
Yeah, yeah, you're spot on. But now that I think about it, you know, Dumbledore does the same thing with Harry, where yeah. he leaves Harry on the doorstep of the, the Dursleys. Yes. Uh, like, in the middle of the night when it's freezing cold in yes. England. Like, and, I, you know, I just, I can't get over how irresponsible that is. I know, yes. I know there's the whole, you know, the, the, the family magic thing and that the blood mm-hmm. ties will make sure that he's not harmed while he calls Privet Drive home and everything else. But, I mean, he he, he puts know. he puts the letter on the baby. I mean, yeah. let Petunia know. Like you know, obviously they you've known all day. Everyone's drinking, having fun. That Voldemort is gone. I mean, you had all day. McGonagall's been sitting on a wall literally exactly. all day. Yes, she at has. breakfast time. Why has no one shown up? to yeah. talk to the Dursleys directly. He's just like, yeah, putting a baby here, putting a letter. Hopefully exactly. they'll read it. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's bizarre. That man, we could, I mean, I don't want to go down the Dumbledore rabbit hole, but oh my gosh, that man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, I won't say too much more, but I just think it's insipid for such a champion of, oh, love will out, you know, love will win the day, to be like, oh, but I'm going to leave all these kids to their own devices and mm-hmm. and I'm going to employ completely ineffectual staff members and I'm just going to do what I want to do because I'm Dumbledore and no one questions me, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. I just sort of feel like it's rich for Dumbledore to lecture anybody on moral responsibility when he sh- his own attitudes to it fluctuate so much. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have talked about Dumbledore at all, but the thing, one of the other elements that ties uh, Harry and Tom together is Dumbledore. Is mm-hmm. Because Dumbledore has manoeuvred himself into this position of, okay, I'm the only one that Tom ever feared because I can, you know, match his power, blah, blah, blah. And Harry, you know, has to be nurtured and grow into this bastion of love to ultimately overcome him. And it's, they're both really... In, in different ways, manipulated by Dumbledore to fill the positions that they do. And that is really interesting to me. So it'll be interesting to see if any of that plays out in the fic that we read as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I'm really excited for our next episode because we are going to be reading a Tamari fic, which looks really, really good. Oh my God, it looks so good. I'm so excited. There's pansy in there and time travel and it's just, oh, it's going to be so good. So it's called The Love of a Good Wizard by Sweet Sorcery. And we'll have the link in the description, obviously. So go ahead and check it out and give it a read uh, before we release that episode so you know whatever the heck we are talking about. And we're really looking forward to actually getting down into a fix specifically. And it's going to be so much fun. Okay, Nathan. Yeah. Do you go down with this ship? I do. (laughs) I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell. Oh my gosh. We are so deep. I mean, we are down there. We are so far down. I am so into this ship. I'm so excited to have picked it so that we could read it, so we could look into it because my, my life is forever changed. That is for sure. It is. I mean, I am drenched. I am soaked (laughs) in the ship. I am loving it. It is so good. (laughs) 
<laughs> goodbye lifeboats goodbye life vests we are good i'm fine i'm drowning i am just yeah. i am ready yeah i'm just so- drinking it in <laughs> So we would love to know if you also go down with said ship or if you're just like, no, not for me. So definitely tweet at us at Magical Ship Pod on Twitter. Let us know your thoughts and whether we made any sort of sense and we're any type of coherent whatsoever. And so... Yeah, so we look forward to hearing from you and getting to talk about the new fic with you. So we will see you. Well, no, we won't see you. (laughs) We will will talk to you. We'll talk at you next time. And it's going to be so great. (laughs) Prepare yourself. (laughs) While you're waiting for the next episode, all the shipping fun can continue online. You can head over to all of our social media platforms like Magical Ship Pod on Twitter and Instagram and Care of Magical Shippers on Tumblr. You can get in touch with us by email at careofmagicalshippers at gmail.com or you can leave us a voice message with all of your ship and fic thoughts and feels and have the chance to be featured on a future pod episode. We are also live on Patreon. Patrons have access to early episodes, bonus content, extended uncut episodes with all of our nonsense, ficlets written by me, exclusive merch, and a patron discord. Another easy way to show your love for the pod is by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. And thank you so much for listening.